When you ask people about the makeup of individuals, traditionally they tell you a person is composed of body, soul, and spirit. Yet when Paul describes the process of sanctification and what he wants to do with the entire person, he speaks of the spirit, soul, and body. Why does he put it in that order in 1 Thessalonians 5.23? A young man went to a church fellowship with both of his ears bright red. A friend asked him, what did you do to your ears? The friend responded, well, I was ironing my shirt, preparing to come to the fellowship. And the phone rang. And instead of picking up the phone, I picked up the iron. Ooh, that's horrible, said his friend. But what happened to the other ear? The other fellow said, well, the same guy called back. (laughs) Well, the Apostle Paul is the repeat caller in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He stresses the need for the saints to be sanctified, looking at their progressive sanctification. But then comes back in the second half of the verse, stating the same thing, if you will. He is the repeat caller. So as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me give you three focus questions for today. Actually, three what questions. Number one, what should you daily trust the God of peace to do in your life? We're going to focus upon the God of peace. What can you expect him daily to do in your life? Number two, what obligation do you have to pastors? the saints, and the word. And then finally, what should you daily wish for the saints? If you have a desire for all the saints, what should that be? First, Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28, to close out our study. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the journey through First Thessalonians. We have learned so much. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for the unveiling. Thank you that you have given these things by the inspiration of the Spirit to Paul to share with us. So today, as we finish our study in First Thessalonians, focusing upon sanctification Move in our hearts that will want to partner with what you're doing in our lives. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul is now transitioning to the final section, he appeals to the saints to depend upon God. We're going to see that sanctification, that there is a role that we play, but then there's also what God does. But ultimately, we need to depend upon him to accomplish 
the mission that is before us. We begin with, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify here uh, picks up uh, an earlier theme. Come back to chapter 3 and look at verses 11 through 13. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in what? In holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul earlier gives reference to us being holy, being set apart, progressing in our sanctification. And then in chapter 4 and verse 3, he writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So the term here, sanctify, means to make holy, to be set apart for a sacred purpose. And may I point out to you as well that the verb here is an optative. That's not used too often, that mode or mood from the Greek New Testament. It's a wish. So this is what Paul is wishing or desiring for the saints. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The God of peace. There is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord. We find that statement made twice in the book of Isaiah. The God of peace. And in various writings of Paul, 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 11, Romans 15, 33, and 16, 20, and then in Philippians 4, 9, see in all these references toward the end of those letters, Paul refers to the God of peace. Let me read you the verse that stood out to me from Philippians chapter 4 in verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Put them into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Paul had set an example how those saints, both at Philippi and then now at Thessalonica, should live. Being holy and personally having experienced the God of peace. You know, Satan works hard to disrupt our peace with God. By the way, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. 22. I don't know why, but the last several months we're getting Sports Illustrated sent to the house. Uh, we didn't subscribe, but it's been showing up. And when the mail had come the other day, I went and I just picked up the mail and there was the infamous swimsuit issue, right? So what do you do? No one's around. Take a look. No, you just write in the trash. File 13, we used to say. You got to make choices not to interrupt that peace of God. You want to continue to progress in your holiness so that we can see the Lord. That's what it says 
in Hebrews 12, 14. But we have to make those choices. And the God of peace is with us to help us through these times. Uh, fascinatingly, the Greek says he is the God of the peace. Uh, we understand how this refers to the nature of God. That's who he is. When you think of God, he experiences perfect peace. He has forever. It's a description of his very nature. And may I add the same true of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called from Isaiah 9, the Prince of Peace. So we have peace. Uh, and by the way, how does this peace come? It's not something that we experience naturally, but supernaturally. In Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you believed upon the finished work of Christ, the one who died for your sin, conquers death. We receive peace because we have been declared righteous. Ephesians 2.14 says that Christ himself is our peace. And speaking of himself, isn't that what we have here about God? It says himself. Himself is placed first in the Greek sentence. So you might want to underline that. Now draw a little arrow showing it starts a sentence. You can't come up with a good Sentence in English beginning with himself, but in the Greek language, you could move words around for emphasis. That's why it is there, because this is what God does. And Paul's wish is that this God of peace would sanctify you how? Completely. The adjective completely only appears here in First Thessalonians 5. 23 it uh, has two parts to it halas which means all and telos completion completely or entirely whole the god of peace himself is the only one that can bring to completion this process of sanctification for you. That's why we need to lean upon him, to depend, to rely upon him 24-7. Now, just like the repeat caller at the beginning of our sermon, Paul is coming back a second time, second half of verse 23. Essentially, he's going to say the same thing. Why? This is such an important topic. You know, in the Old Testament, you have a form of poetry called synonymous parallelism. The second line is essentially saying the same thing as the first line. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Basically saying the same thing. Why is that done? So you can dwell on that concept. Paul wants us to dwell on the topic of sanctification here. So he comes back around and he writes, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word whole, another adjective, this time the term is only used twice, 
from the Greek New Testament, from halas, all, like the former word, the whole, but kleros also, which means a part or a share. So possessing all its parts is the idea. Now, what's the difference between the former term completely and the word whole? It seems that the former term in the beginning of our text talks about mature Christian character qualitatively. And here it seems to focus upon a quantitative development, but it's showing the entirety of this process. And now as we move on, I, I, I love the word of God. I remember when I began my college experience, probably like you, one of the classes you had to take year one, psychology 101. And what I came to find fascinating, most psychologists, psychiatrists, do not literally believe in a physical soul. In other words, that there is a soul within a person. Psychology literally means study of the soul, and they don't believe in a soul. The scripture tells us about how we are made, going way back to Genesis one twenty six in the image of God, the moral, mental, and spiritual image of God. But notice the order here, because the debate has been, are people comprised, are we made up of two parts, you know, the immaterial soul and spirit, and then material to body, or three parts. And I, I just like to point out to you, as Paul writes here, he says, ta numa, the spirit, kai he suke, and the soul, kai ta soma, and the body. It's the article before each one of these, I think, showing three parts. And I believe that's what we have from the scripture. And by the way, even the immaterial part of us, the soul and the spirit, God's word can penetrate it. That's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that the word of God is living, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it pierce through? It goes down between the soul and the spirit. The word of God is deep, and that's why we want to implant it deeply in our thinking. Traditionally, when you hear people describe the makeup of individuals, you hear body, soul, spirit. Notice the order here. Paul deliberately places spirit first. This is the human spirit. It's the immaterial part of people that gives us the ability to connect with God. Now, prior to the fall, Adam could have a walk with God because of his human spirit. But after the fall, we need to be born again. We need to be justified. We need to be regenerated in order that the spirit of God can connect with our human spirit. And Romans 8.16 bears this out. Listen carefully. The spirit, that's the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that's our human spirit, that we are children of God. So for the born-again child of God, 
God's Holy Spirit now communes with your human spirit. And there is an inner testimony, an inner confirmation that we are children of God. So we have the spirit. Next, we have the suke, the soul, deceit of personality, enabling the person to be aware of his body and physical surroundings. In other words, it produces self-consciousness, self-consciousness. It helps us to be aware of who we are. That's the soul. And then finally, we have the body, the physical body made up of its parts. Paul refers now in our text when he's speaking of spirit, soul, and body, not the glorification, not yet, but progressive sanctification, because this is supposed to be done until when Jesus Christ appears. That's what our text says. So there's a focus that all three are to be moving in a direction of Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 explains so very clearly that a child of God has been predestined. Pra horizo. Before and a boundary or horizon. The idea is that we have been marked out ahead of time. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Child of God is very simple. That's why you're here. That is why you go through the things that you do. Everything. And that's why all things work together for good. Romans 8.28. Why? Because God wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing that God does in our hearts, and we need to partner with him in a sense of being obedient to the word of God so we can continue to develop in our progressive sanctification. Just recall from previous studies, positionally you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1, 3 and 2, 6. That's our position, and because of our position, we now have a new capacity. We have the privilege to be seated with Christ, spiritually speaking, in heavenly places, and that's why we can progress in our Christian life. Because of our position, we've been co-crucified with Christ, and we've also been raised with him. But now, since we have this new ability within us, if anyone's in Christ, He's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are what? New. We have within us the Spirit of God who communes with our human spirit, helping us to grow daily in our walk with God till this is completed at the return of Christ. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes the letter to the Thessalonians from Corinth. The Greek mentality of the day embraced dualism. Dualism. Dualism is the philosophy that anything immaterial is good, and anything that is physical, like the body, is bad. 
this was another way to justify using your body any way you wanted to because it really doesn't matter because it's the immaterial that really counts. And isn't it intriguing that God is desirous that we be sanctified spirit, soul, and body? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and just before I begin in verse 18, you have to understand there was a temple of Aphrodite, a goddess. And often men would go to that temple. Historically, we're told there were about a thousand priestesses. And gross immorality took place because that's how you communed with the gods. But again, there's so little respect for the body that you could go do whatever you want to do. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's a greater consequence to sexual sin. The two become one flesh, we're taught way back in Genesis chapter 2. And when that's compromised, then God steps in and has to chasten people. Paul asks the question, verse 19, and expects a yes answer. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? He goes on to give the explanation for you. We're bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God where? In your body. See the emphasis of Paul because he understood the compromise of the day. And in your spirit. See, which here is placed secondly, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, placed first. Which are God's. He's bought you. So now you're to glorify him, spirit, soul, and body. Come back with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. And what's Paul's wish that the three be preserved? The term preserved is used of a warden, <laughs> secularly, or of a prison guard. And in the scripture, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, we have Peter who's kept in prison. See, he's watched over. And in Acts 16, 23, the charge to the jailer was to keep Paul. To be preserved is the idea to keep or to watch over and how are we to be preserved blameless without fault is the concept of this term and uh, paul and his team modeled these things back in first thessalonians 2 10 you are witnesses and god also how devoutly and justly and notice the term blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe Paul modeled this and now expects his children in the faith to imitate their spiritual father. And all these things are in light of what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prevalent theme stated in each chapter. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we're to wait for the son. He's coming back from heaven. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of to come eternal damnation but then also the tribulation secondarily in chapter 2 uh, we see a similar emphasis in 219 for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing is it not even you in the present see the personal coming of our lord jesus christ that is coming and then in chapter 3 see it just each chapter 313 
So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then you have the same in chapter 4 in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain. See, Paul expected to be alive when Jesus would come back until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. Emphasis again upon the return of Christ. And we have the same thing here in chapter 5 in verse 23. And here's the good news for you. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. I love this. Who also will do it. Based on God's nature. Because of who he is. When he gives a promise, he has to fulfill it. God cannot lie, Hebrews 6, and he cannot break an oath or a promise that he gives. He who calls you is faithful. And the verb calls, the present participle, shows a continual calling. The same tense is used back in chapter 2 in verse 12. 2 12, that you should walk worthy of God who calls. See, he keeps calling you into his own kingdom and glory. And when it comes to sanctification, God keeps calling us to move in this direction. He who calls you is faithful. And at the end of verse 24, who also will do it. Is that trigger? In your minds, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to complete the deal. He's going to complete the mission. From God's point of view, our glorification is already done. So he's going to complete as well the process of sanctification. So here's our first point. Depend upon the faithful God of peace to sanctify you depend rely upon the faithful God of peace to sanctify you yes you have an obligation child of God to continually walk with God to pursue peace with all men but also the holiness but know that the way you're going to continue to experience victory is because you're leaning upon the strength of God Second point, pray for pastors, greet the saints, and read the word. You can tell you're getting near the end of the book. You get all these practical exhortations. And here, brethren, verse 25, pray for us. Brethren is now used, and it's very intriguing, because throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, it is used... Not in the beginning of a verse. It's in the middle of the end. For the first time, it occurs first. So that makes it emphatic at this point. It's strongly stated because he's making an appeal to them. Because the key, I believe, to the Apostles Paul's success is that he asked others to pray for him. And they did. When people ask me, what can I do for you? Oh, pray. And then I share the things that God has given me to do. Pray. Present middle imperative. Paul 
is one who faithfully prayed for the saints. And now he's commanding them to pray for him. I had a funeral to do recently. It was a very sad setting, a 35-year-old young lady. And uh, it was going to be a challenge uh, just because of the context of the situation and so many lost people there. That morning, I had read my devotions, as my daily practice is, going actually through my own book, Devotions on Fire. This is year one. And there was a particular verse that was sticking in my mind. A bit later that morning, before the funeral, someone had written to me, read the same text, and stated how that verse had stuck out <laughs> there in their mind. So I asked that person to pray, shared a few details. And when I got to the funeral that day, I know others were praying for me because I'd shared similarly some of the details and asked them to pray. You could just feel the presence of the Lord in the middle of all of this grief and all of this lostness. It was as if the Lord just had me walk into the middle of the room and say, let me give you a context for life and taking them back to creation and the fall to all that Christ has done. I preach Christ, but I recognize that the energy often comes through the prayers of the saints. You need them and I need them. And then here in verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All the brethren. See, there's some in the church who weren't laboring uh, they thought, hey, the rapture is coming, so why bother to work? But the greeting is for all, both those who are being obedient to the Scripture and those who are not. But we're supposed to be friendly, kind, and greet all the brethren. The way it was done in the first century was with the customary kiss on a cheek. The men would traditionally kiss another man on a cheek and a woman another woman the kiss it, it shows love it shows a friendship it shows a respect and clearly in our context it's it's totally a holy kiss uh, today we pretty much replace that although in other cultures you do have the customary kiss with the handshake here in america and the expression occurs you know this holy kiss in romans 16 16 first corinthians 16 20 second corinthians 13 12 and first peter 5 14 and it adds the words one another so we need to greet the brethren we need to make sure that we are in contact with one another in the body of christ Satan really works to separate us. It's what he does best. God wants to flock together. He doesn't want scattered sheep. So there's an assumption here that in the body of Christ, we're going to be friendly to one another when we meet one another, and it keeps each other encouraged. I love when we have a visitor here at the church, and someone later says, everyone is so friendly to me. They, they just reached out to me. They were so kind. This should be the general nature of Christians to greet one another and be kind to all. And then in verse 27, a charge. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Paul's 
terminology shows the gravity of the situation. I charge carries the idea. I put you under oath. In essence, Paul's saying, if you don't read this epistle to the entire congregation, God will judge you because you are put under oath. It expresses the importance of the word of God being read to everyone. Great application here. Is there not? Back in the first century, you would have one person traditionally read and everyone else could hear. You just couldn't go to a Xerox machine and make copies. You couldn't call the American Bible Society and say, send me a Bible in the language that I read from. You couldn't do that. So the reading of scripture was important. But what is it that Paul emphasizes? Why does he say, I charge you? He wants to make sure everyone hears the word. And child of God, do not get lazy. In many places around the globe, they have to read God's word secretively, even if you can have a copy that's hidden away. We have such privilege. We need to be reading the word. There's a blessing uh, that goes with that. In Revelation 1-3, not only for the person who's reading it, but those who are hearing and then doing it. Let's make sure that this is a priority to us. God's word always Needs to be central to our lives. So I charge you to what? To read. Anagonosko, to read up, to read out, to read aloud is the idea here. So let's make sure we keep the word of God central. Paul emphasized this. So number one, you depend upon the faithful God of peace to sanctify you. Number two, pray for pastors, greet the saints, and read the word. That's verses 25 through 27. And now... Our last verse, desire the saints to know God's grace. That's verse 28 and our third point. Desire the saints to know God's grace. How did we begin this letter? With grace. How do we end this letter? With grace. How does Paul begin every letter that he writes? With grace. How does he close each letter he writes with grace why this is such an important thing we need the grace of god and don't forget this it's by god's grace or favor that the child of god is energized in order to accomplish our god-given mission paul would write in first corinthians fifteen ten. but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, speaking to the other apostles. But not I, but the grace of God, which was given to me. It is grace that will energize. We come to the throne of grace and God gives us what we need, his favor to accomplish the assigned task. Let's abide in God's grace. We are to grow in grace, 2 Peter 3.18, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So number one, depend upon the faithful God of peace to sanctify you. Each and every day when you wake up, child of God, give your day to God and stay close to him by reading the word and praying throughout the day. As we learned earlier, pray without ceasing. Depend upon him constantly to continually have you become more like Christ? Pray for pastors. We need it. Greet the saints and read the word. Practical exhortations, but ever so important. Have you neglected your Bible reading? Get back to it. Make it a priority. Are you friendly toward all 
the children of God. Greet the saints. And then we see as well the essential to read the word. And then finally, desire the saints to know God's grace. It's a wonderful thing to live by grace. We were saved by it, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we are those who extend grace to others and live by grace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. It's been a great study. Personally, I've learned so much. Thank you for my privilege. Thank you for Paul's focus throughout this five-chaptered book on the imminent return of Christ. Thank you for his theme of holiness for the believer as well. Help us to grow in our holiness. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Help us to apply all that we have learned, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 